It's always an honour, a privilege to listen to God's Word. And so we are carrying on the series in Genesis, and we arrive at Genesis chapter 12. So, let's begin by asking the right questions. And I think if we keep in touch with the news, this is all over the world, but I just pull out one country, Italy. 86,000 total cases, new cases. Yesterday when I checked, it was about 1,969, and deaths about 9,000. So, what if there are only infections and deaths and no recoveries? Did you, did you read, did you hear about this 101 story? And what on earth is the 101 story? The 101 story is the story of a 101-year-old man. Right? Next slide. And this Italian man was recently released from hospital after a, making a full recovery from COVID-19. Now, He's only referred to as Mr. P, and so he has left the hospital at Remini on Thursday. A hundred and one years old, and yet though he got infected, by the grace of God, he recovered, and he is discharged out of hospital. So there may be a lot of bad things going around, but ever so often we are reminded of the good endings, which leads us to still ask the right questions. And the right questions... What if there were only infections and no recoveries, no healing, no one comes out of hospital? What if there are only curses in life and no blessings? And that is what we read when we came all the way to Genesis 11. It's full of curses and no blessings. What if there is only God, but there is, there is, there is only us, but no God? So I want us to just hold that thought. What if there is only us, horizontally, and there is no God? What does that mean for us? Hey, Genesis 11 ended, if you remember, and verse 11 says, The Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Which means this tower that they were building, God stooped down, He looked at it, and so he said, they are united in sin, united to sin, united to rebel against me. I want to stop this. And so our human ambition to build a tower that reaches to the heavens was stopped by God. We call that our unfinished business of rebelling, our unfinished business of sinning, that when we get together, left to ourselves, we usually get together to do wrong. We call that united to sin. Did you hear that very sad story in Singapore, in one of our schools, where a group of students got together and kept bullying this girl until someone, someone posted it on social media. And then the principal knew and our Ministry of Education knew and they said there is no place for bullying. When we get together sometimes even as children, right, we get together and we are united in our bullying. We are united in our swearing, united in our sinning. That is our unfinished story. It carries on. We carry this, this characteristic in us. But when we listen to Genesis carefully, God has another plan to save us from our sin. And when you read at the end of chapter 11, verse 32, he called Terah, and Terah died in Haran. And then when you arrive there, you say, 
The story is unfinished, but the story carries on in chapter 12. And so in chapter 12 is the story of two cities. We found from last week that God is always working to take us out, snatch us, rescue us from self-idolatry to the rightful worship of Him, the wrongful idolatry of self to the rightful worship of God. So from Babel will come all the man-made cities of which the most famous in the Bible is Babylon, addressed in the Old Testament and Babylon in the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. The character of Babylon is it's self-made, it's self-rule, and it's self-rescuing. We will find our answers out of this. And so it's about making a name for ourselves. But Jerusalem, the city of God, will actually be God's counter or God's rescue. It is God-made, it is God-ruled by His Word, it is God saving us finally by His Son. It is God glorifying. So once we understand the big picture of the Bible, that from Babel will come Babylon, and God is going to do something to raise His city, His divine city, to destroy our man-made city. And the calling of Abraham is very important to understand. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, Go from, from where? From your country and your kindred, in some versions, your clan, which means maybe your extended family and some really close friends, and your father's house, this is your immediate family. And so you go from your country, in all likelihood, for him, his family had settled into, don't forget, Haran. So go from your country, your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families on the earth will be blessed. As we go on, we keep asking ourselves the questions, what are the main lessons from here? Did you notice in Genesis chapter 1, God said, and it was. God said, and it was. So God's word is powerful. Whatever He says, God says, let there be light, and there was light. God says, let there be a sun and the moon and the stars, and there was sun and the moon and the stars. You want to try, try that at home? Let there be light, and there was no light. Let there be darkness. And, and so our words are very powerless. God's word is very powerful. Did you notice that both creation and new creation, God's rescue plan, what we call redemption or salvation, the, begins with the Lord said to Abraham. So they begin with God's word. There is no hope until God speaks His Word into our circumstances. There is often no hope for us until God speaks His Word over our words into our circumstances. So by God's grace, I've been to pre preach in different places. I remember going to preach in this place in, in Australia at this conference. As I arrived there just the night before, before the conference began, this a couple just come, came up to me, an older couple, and said, I, I don't think you remember us. I said, I'm so sorry. It's been a few years since I came, maybe four or five years, and spoke at the same conference. We just wanted to tell you that the last time we came, our teenage son was going through a very bad patch, a very bad patch in which he was lost in life, purposeless in life, and going through depression. And then we 
brought him along from his perspective. We dragged him along to this conference and all the passages that you shared struck him and it changed. There was actually no hope for him until he heard God's word. I could replay that again and again. Sometimes I bump into families, couples, whose marriages have fallen apart. And then they say, until you came, until God sent someone to speak God's word to us, there was no hope. Do you believe that? There is no hope for your heart, for your home, for our heartlands, for our world, until God speaks into our circumstances. So there was no hope at the Tower of Babel with the confusion of language because we saw the pattern in Genesis so far. There is sin, there is punishment, and there's usually grace. Sin, punishment, and grace. But by the time you arrive at Genesis 11, there seems to be no grace. But the grace here is God calling Abraham and speaking to him. So never underestimate the power of God's word. There is hope whenever he speaks into your heart and your home. And what does God say? He says, go to the land I will show you. But before you go to the land I will show you, you have to leave three things. You have to leave your country. You have to leave your kindred. You have to, keep, you have to leave your family. And so what was God saying to Abraham? A very simple but very powerful spiritual truth. When we choose, when we walk out in faith, we have to get used to leaving all self-security, all familiarity. Maybe it sounds a little bit like, hey, everything we are used to, we have to leave behind. And so we have to get used to a life without support, a life without props. And that is the life of faith experienced in obedience. So have you gotten used, have you ever experienced life without props, that all you have is God and belief in God, all you have is God and obedience to God that will get you through? So I was doing my, my studies, my advanced studies, my doctorate studies in America, and one time I had to fly in for the lectures. And so I remember one night, I worked really late until the library closed. And uh, it was uh, winter time. And so I hired a car. I was driving back from the Bible college where I was doing the course back to the place I was staying. It was dark. It was 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, there were no handphones. 20 years ago, there was no GPS. And so I had memorized the route between the Bible college where I was doing my studies and my friend's house uh, flat. They were kindly putting me up. But as I drove home that night, on the dark, on the, on the highway, there were roadworks and they detoured me to the side roads. And the side roads were really dark. And the moment they detoured me, I didn't have a directory in my car. There was no GPS invented at that time. And so I was totally lost. So how did I get home? I got home simply by praying, Lord, help me, I'm lost. Lord, help me, I'm lost. Please help me find familiar landmarks and take me home and take me home. That is a life without props. Thankfully, by God's grace, 
I managed to arrive home not too long after that. If you have ever been in a situation in your life in which you experience sickness or loss of job, the best prayer is help. And help means there is nothing within you that can rescue you from your circumstances. It is all God's effort. So go and leave your country, your kindred and your family is faith and faith is to live our life without any human security or familiarity. So get used to life without props. How many of you can do this? Very few of us. You're literally hanging, not by your fingernails, but by the strength of your hands and your arms. And some people do this bare-faced rock climbing. Faith and obedience is you got no harness, you got no plan B, it is just you and God holding you up. So, Abraham had to experience what this meant for him. Notice, in Babel, it was, let us build a tower, let us make a name for ourselves, let us not be scattered. It's totally self-centered. But by the time you read Genesis 12, the focus totally shifts. It is God who will now say, I will show you the land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You can't bless yourself and you can't make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, you and your descendants. And I will curse those who dishonour you. So there couldn't be a greater contrast between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Genesis 11 is you, me, the whole of mankind trying to live our own way and find our own way out, building our Tower of Babels. By Genesis chapter 12, we have moved from totally selfies. It's all about us to totally God. If you ever come to Singapore, there's a, a dish here that we like, a Chinese dish called Bak Kut Teh. It's really pork rib soup. And there's some really famous restaurants serving it. There's one called Founders Bakute in a place called Ballastia. If you ever go to Founders Bakute at Ballastia Road, and we highly commend that to you, you'll find on both walls, all the walls of that restaurant, the founder right, of this recipe of pork rib soup, which is quite good or very good. And everybody who goes there, the celebrities, they all take a picture with him. They all take a picture with him. So I was wondering when I went, should I walk up to that boss and say, I know I'm a nobody, but can I take a picture with you? You'll be tempted too, because everybody's picture is there. When it comes to, when it comes to Abraham and the call of Abraham, your life and my life will be nothing if it has no God in the picture. That selfie without God is equal to a life that displeases God. God must always be in the picture, and the picture of heaven is you and me visually taking a picture with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, you and me would never have arrived. So it is totally God-centered instead of, so what is God doing? He's moving us, snatching us always from a life of selfies to a life that is totally revolving around Him. God must always be with us in every picture frame. So think of your life from morning to night, a lot of picture frames, but with every picture frame that you go through, 
from breakfast to lunch to dinner, from school to work, Jesus, God, must be in that picture. So, one way to look at this, story of our world made by God, Genesis 1 and 2. But Genesis 3 to 11, story of a world gone wrong when we took it in our own hands and say, we don't need God, I'm okay without God, and I'll run my life without Him. But from Genesis chapter 12 to 50, sorry, I missed the zero there, is the story of God making our world right. How? It begins with the call of Abraham. And so the call of Abraham, God is calling Abraham literally to snap a picture with him that Abraham's life will be totally meaningless without God in his photo, in his life. Abraham's faith. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, did you notice the first three verses? God said, God said. But you should wonder, and I should wonder, God said, God said. But what did Abraham do? Abraham stepped out in faith. And the outworking of faith, the proof of faith, is faith is expressed and experienced in obedience. So faith is always practical. Faith is always a verb. Notice, Abraham not just believed, but he went. Abraham took all his possessions. Abraham set out. And Abraham finally, as he, as he went on this journey, he came to the land God had promised him. So faith in the Bible is not impractical. It's totally practical. God says, do this, we do this. God says, stop this, we stop that. Is that you? Is that me? Is your faith a dead faith or faith that is alive? Have there been any verbs in your experience of faith? God told you to stop certain things. God told you to start certain things. Very important, we get this right. Then we find Abraham doing this. Verse 6. Abraham passed through the land to the land of Shechem, to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we find Abraham walking. He's walking out, stepping out in faith. And where's he going? Please take note of the names. Shechem, the land of the Canaanites, and then it carries on. Verse 8, From there he moved on to the hill country. And how does it describe this hill country? On the east of Bethel, a very important, another important biblical site. And he pitches ten, that means he was out in the wilderness, and Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and call upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the gap. And so we find, can you imagine this? That Abraham is called by God. He has no idea. He has no GPS at the time. He doesn't know where he's going, but he just goes. And the description of those places, from Shechem to Bethel to Ai to Negev, actually when you look at it, 
It's like he's surveying the entire land of Canaan that will finally be given to Israel, his descendants. So in that sense, Abraham's first GPS walk, guided by God, guided by the promise of God, guided by the Word of God, was actually a prophetic walk that one day this land would actually belong to him. So what lessons do we learn? Very, very precious ones. Abraham, from our human perspective, from our human spectacles, he's an old man. He's 75 years old. He's aged. So how many of you listening to this are in your 70s? In terms of COVID-19, we are in a very dangerous phrase, right? And in your 70s, has anybody told you to go and start a family that you have children? You never go and promise children to grandparents. The Kung Kong already. He's aged. He's childless and he's landless. So from a human perspective, Abraham, he's aged, he's childless, he's landless, he's a hopeless wanderer. But from God's eyes, what does he become? From God's eyes, hearing God's word, which carries God's promises to him, he and his wife Sarai, who is described as barren, they will have many children, you think about it, it's so impossible. It's like going to an old folks' home and then as you enter the old folks' home, you get a loud hailer, you get a, a mic and say to the, all the old folks, to you will be born many young children. You never, you can say that to a school, you can say that to a poly, you can say that to a university, but you don't go to an old folks' home to announce children. And then you don't go to old folks and say, you want to buy your second property, you buy your third property. No, the, but Abraham and Sarah in their old age are promised children and land and blessings, a blessing to the whole world. How many of you wake up and think that you are a blessing to the whole world? That is too mega. That is too bold, too proud a statement. Me? Blessing the whole world? There is no connection with me and the whole world. If I can, if I can bless anyone, one person, I'll be happy. Abraham. Lessons, Abraham, God, Abraham and us. He hears what God says. He obeys what God says. And then he steps out. He worships God all the way. Did you notice? At two places, his response to God was that he built an altar. A first sign and a first signal that he would worship God. That the end of hearing God's word, obeying God's word, is the worship of God. So maybe this is a simple acronym for us. A simple acronym. What does it mean to have faith? Faith is H-O-W. Hearing what God says to us, obeying what God says to us, and then worshipping Him all the way. Very, very important. And... When we read this story, which begins with Abraham, but will finish with Jesus Christ, we hear, we obey, and worship God all the way when He made the promise to Abraham to His fulfilment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, let's look at the Bible passage that says this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 onwards. Remember, we started our time by reading this. But now... 
now that faith has come, we are no longer under, under a guardian. For in, in who? In this person called Christ Jesus, you have all become sons of God. How? Through faith. For as many of us were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. You know what the writer is saying? The writer is saying it's a very, very important thing. If we believe in Jesus, it means that we believe all the way back to Abraham and we believe back all the way to the God who made the promise to Abraham. And God is basically saying, though all of us have turned away from Him, He has a plan to bless us. So, H-O-W, this is how we hear God's Word, this is how we obey God's Word, and we worship God all the way from the promise to fulfilment in Jesus. That is the only way Jesus, by His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, is what cancels God's wrath against us, forgives us of sin, and makes us not the end of His curses upon the world, but makes us the recipients of His blessing upon us. So, pilgrimage lessons for us. By faith, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise, Canaan, that we just saw. It's a land. What kind of land? It's a land of promise. As in a foreign land, and all the way he lived in tents with Isaac his son, Jacob his grandson, heirs with him of the same promise. And as he did this, hearing God's word, obeying God's word, he was looking forward to the city that had his foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So it's actually saying, Hebrews, uh, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had to leave all his self-sufficiency, all his self-blessing, all his self-effort to find true blessings in God's promise. And actually, Hebrews will be, will be telling us he was looking forward unknown to him to not Babel, a city made by man's hands, but looking forward to the city built by God's hands, Jerusalem. So that is why no matter how permanent we feel life is on earth, everywhere we live is only temporary. We have to live all our self-security. And this pilgrimage lessons is true for Abraham, for Jacob and Joseph. All of them had to go and leave their false security to find true blessings in God. So faith has two parts to it. We have to leave our false security and then we go. We leave and then we go. And only then will we take part in God's blessing. So maybe it's a little bit like this. A pilgrimage of faith is God like a parent walking us from our self-effort and our self-rescue to finally Jesus saving us. So experience of faith is step by step. The unseen God is taking us from all our human efforts to make this the best world, to make this a paradise, to the world that will truly be a paradise, a world saved and created by Jesus, the kingdom of God, the capital of which is Jerusalem. And 
So, faith has to let go of what? Faith has to let go of the known, of the familiar, of self, everything we are familiar with. And then faith has to grab hold of. So we let go of the familiar and we grab hold of the unknown, going to an unknown land, the unfamiliar. I'm going to live by God's word, just listening to his word. And faith is going to grab hold of God. So friends, one image that we can have of the experience of faith and obedience to God is, firstly, how do we wash off the spirit of Babel, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of selfism, right? How do we do that? I was taking a morning walk and a prayer walk along the East Coast. And then, as is my custom now, I try to pick up as much rubbish that is left on the beach. Just my little effort. And so happened to pick up a lot of plastic things that had black oil or tar on it. Then, I, firstly, I didn't see it when I held it. Then it was there, all sticky, and I couldn't get rid of it. So when I came home, I had to wash again and again for the tar and the black oil to come off. One of the people who attends our church here, before he came to know Christ, he's, he was very much into tattoos on his body. But after he came to know Christ, he thought twice about it. Tattoos are not moral or immoral, but for his own journey and for the Christian woman he fell in love with and for the Christian family he wanted to belong to now because he came from quite a different background, he decided to get rid of his tattoos. You ever met anybody who's tried to get rid of tattoos? Ask them. So once I, I, I didn't know him, I, I didn't know that he had done that. So I bumped into him and said, what, what happened to your hand? It's all wrapped up. I said, oh, I'm trying to get rid of my tattoos. So how painful? Really, really painful. Really, really painful. Getting rid of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, sometimes involves light washing, sometimes it's very painful, deep-rooted things in our life. But no matter what, we have to leave the things that give us false confidence, false confidence of arrival, false confidence that this is paradise here on earth. And so I've given this story many, many times. I was a young believer. I became a Christian in Sydney, Australia. And I was beginning to learn what the Christian life meant, what faith in Jesus means, uh, what leaving behind idolatry means. And so, you know, I have a romantic spirit and heart, so I must confess I did watch Crash Landing on You. Right. And years and years ago, my number one singer uh, while I was in university was Teresa Tang. And just listening to her songs and watching those kind of movies, the love stories, kept me in a romantic world that I'll find a Miss, miss Perfect and we'll have a perfect marriage. But having heard the sermon in church one day, I realised I had to get rid of all the Teresa Tang songs. At that time, it was all cassettes. So I went back to the hostel room. I took all my Teresa Tang cassettes and more and threw them in the bin because that was part of my old life of trying to find my own happiness, my own romance, my own world. And I slept with obedience. The next morning, I woke up and I put back all the cassettes. 
It's not easy. It's not easy to get rid of things that give you your personal happiness, your personal arrival, your personal Eden, and your personal heaven, and your personal paradise. Each one of us have to sometimes wash, sometimes get rid of the deep tattoos, sometimes get rid of the things, or a lot of times we have to get rid of this. And so, big words now with COVID-19, with COVID right? Social distancing, the new word, was physical distancing, and now the better word is safe distancing because we don't want people to be unsocial. We want people to be sociable and, and still caring for each other. Safe distancing. This is a picture of my cat and my dog in my house. And uh, they have been practicing social distancing all their life. You know why? Because having grown up in a pastor's house, they have been taught that. No, of course not. But what's the lesson? Lesson from Abraham, the lesson of leaving before we can go and take part in God's purposes by taking part in His blessings. So how? Hearing God's Word, obeying God's Word, worshipping God all the way to Jesus, maybe we need to practice spiritual safe distancing. And what is spiritual safe distancing? When our eyes look upon things we shouldn't look upon, are we as serious about that? My eyes are looking upon things that I shouldn't look upon. When our hearts are longing for pleasures that our hearts shouldn't long for, when our feet take us to places we should not go, when our hands do things we should not do, we are now in very important, very necessary distancing and hand-washing. But we should also be as serious about distancing ourselves from sin that continues to hold us down and enslave us. So, can we listen to God's Word, hear Him speak to us, obey Him, and worship Him all the way to Jesus? And what to let go? Some of us have to really, when I was lost in my way in Boston, no GPS, no street directory to help me, I just kept saying, help, help, help me to stop hurting from people's sins against me. And some of you listening to this could still be hurting. So your hurt is bigger than Jesus' love for you. Your hurt is controlling you. Your hurt is, is governing you from morning to night. That is something that you must ask God to help you let go. Or ask God to help you to stop worrying about what you might lose. Your job, your face, your, your future. Or help God, God, help me to stop fearing for my life, hearing, fearing diseases and finally fearing death. We must, in our journey of faith, learn to leave our self-securities. So a pilgrimage of blessings, I will bless those who bless you. You know we can pray this. Oh God, bless me as you bless Abraham. Bless me as you bless Abraham. Isn't that a bold statement? Because if you dare, dare to call Abraham as a spiritual forefather, that's what it means. So there are many blessings as we look around us. Blessings, inverted commas, right? Where this whole crisis is bringing, bringing out the best of us. Have you heard, have you watched videos of groups and groups, batches and batches of Chinese experts and doctors 
flying around the world, Iran, different places, just to help others because they have learned, they have learned the hard way when it happened in Wuhan and Hubei and China and this help others. Have you watched videos of Italians shut, shut in, right? Locked down and they stand on balconies and they sing to each other. And there was one in which they sang the Chinese national anthem to each other. Italians standing on balconies singing the Chinese national anthem. And you heard of the latest one with the British lockdown, the Clap for Carers campaign. Really moving if you watch it, where they stand on the streets, stand on their balconies, stand outside their house from Prime Minister onwards. Now the Prime Minister cannot because he himself is down with COVID-19 and we got to pray for him. To Singaporeans, Videos going around singing, this is home. Wonderful ways we bless each other. But as Christians, what is the extra blessing we can give? I showed this last week. It's not a bad one. Somebody sent this to me. The long queue is for people to be safe from COVID-19. The other counter has no queue. How to be saved by Jesus. And so we got to ask the right questions as we started in ending. What if there were only infections and no recoveries? What if there was only curses, Tower of Babel, and no blessings of Abraham? What if there is only us trying to find our way out of our viruses, out of our diseases, out of finally our death? What if there is only us and there is no God? The answer is, it will be totally terrifying because God has the ultimate answer over disease and death. And that is His Son coming to die and rise and to love us out of our self-effort into just trusting in Him, hearing what He says, obeying what He says, and worshipping Him all the way to believing in Jesus. So, how can we practice this? We have now moved from church and services are suspended to house church and people are suffering from what we call cabin fever cabin fever because of the lockdowns in many many countries they say that divorces have really risen in china they say that in australia there's a 40 percent spike or increase in domestic violence very sad we think we thought that if we put people and give them a lot of time as husband, wife, parent, children, we'll enjoy our time together. But because we carry the DNA of sin, we just don't know how to appreciate each other. This is a picture of my brother-in-law in, in Canada and how he is cooking up a storm and just enjoying his time with his wife. Wonderful sushi that he's making, right? And so when we are stuck at home, wonderful experiences of experiencing church, house church, how we can pray together, read God's Word, and flowing from there, how can we send messages to bless people? And so we have to now to run our small groups, what we call discipleship groups, by virtuality, by Zoom. And last night, uh, I just did it with my group. And then we ended by praying for each other. And the prayer points was wonderful. Just in my small discipleship group of 25 people or so, Zooming in maybe half that number last night. Um, five doctors in that group to pray for. Right? Doctors in the group or their relatives. And one of the group members said, pray, pray for my, my, my relative who is a doctor and he's at the forefront. He's at the forefront. 
because he's the one doing the ventilators. But he has said, he's actually not Singaporean, but he's lived in Singapore, married a Singaporean, and lived here for 20 years. And he says, I love Singapore, and I don't mind laying down my life for Singapore. I will die for Singapore. When we heard that, I think it brought a tear to everyone who was tuning in and thought, that is us. We have that extra edge of blessing because we believe in Jesus. And because we believe in Jesus, fear, fear of life, fear of disease and fear of death will not be the last word. But faith, hearing God's word, obeying God's word and worshipping Him all the way, we can go out and reach many people by sharing Jesus. Amen.